When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on Black and White and Red All Over. I'm your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 67. And let's just say, it's been many a podcast episode and I don't have the exact number. Maybe I should have gotten the exact number. But it has been many a podcast episode since Juventus last recorded a shutout in Serie A. And I can happily say that Juventus has finally gotten shut out in Serie A, and we are here to talk about it, although we might talk a, a bigger win before that. So, with that being said, let me bring in Chucks. Hello, Chucks. Hey, you getting that uh, intro flow down. You know, I, uh, I know yeah. that was a little tricky with Sam not being here, but yeah, you're getting that flow. Getting that yes, flow, and you know? just like you, Vic. Right when I get comfortable, change it all up again. Just when I thought I was out, pulled me back in. Exactly, Don Corleone. And we've got Sergio. Hello, Sergio. Hey, fellas. Have to be here as always. Uh, yeah, I'm wondering, like, I, I don't know if there's a timeline, but when are we getting Sam back from the the injured list? If Juventus keeps pitching shutouts, we might have to make some decisions. Kidding. Sounds good. Kidding. Sounds Kidding. good. Kidding. Kidding, Sam. Don't get your hopes up. Kidding, Sam. Exactly. Exactly, Chucks. Chucks, the realist on this podcast, as always. So, as I alluded to, Juventus has had a uh, a good week, I think it's safe to say. And not only did they get the aforementioned shutout in Serie A, the first one since March, and the first one in over half a season, but they picked up a very big win over Chelsea in a very classic Max Allegri kind of way. So, I know that, Chucks, you, are, you may be Dutch, but you like yourself some defensive football. How much did you enjoy both Juventus getting a clean sheet in the league, but Juventus getting a clean sheet in the Champions League while beating Chelsea at the same time? Yeah, it was definitely one of the most unexpected uh, results of recent history of this season, really. I would say, I mean, as we all know here, just kind of what we said last episode regarding our predictions for uh, for the Chelsea game. Uh, I mean, none of us had, you know, Rated rated us uh, rated Juventus at all. None of us had any glimmer of hope, really, on the on any kind of positive result. And yet, here we are. We got one. Yeah, I mean, it was so so unexpected. Um, I remember after the first half, I was like, "Wow, we're actually you know playing well." So you know, actually uh, going to have, regardless of the result, we'll actually have a respectable performance. And then, well, eleven seconds after the break. Uh, there it was there was the the second goal and it's, it's funny usually i miss um goals right right when the game starts or right when halftime ends because i don't know i'm just doing other things i come back and i'm like oh well, we started i'll be like two minutes late or something uh, but i was on time for this one so i was very proud of that of course the big talking point was just the team selection of 
well, what I like to call, I guess, the battering ram of, of Fede. You know, uh, we had the wings of Fede, and then I guess they're playing centrally now, so I, to, I don't know, come up with something else. If anybody else has something, you know, a better, better name, then Yeah, we, we might have to rename the Colt at, at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 because, I mean, they, they were playing centrally, so not on the wings. So, yeah, that was, of course, a very surprising move but i mean you know i don't really well clearly it works so <laughs> that was good but even even before the game when i saw the lineup at first i was surprised but then i was like i mean i don't know what, what were the alternatives i feel like and we can talk about this a little more uh later on i feel like max doesn't quite trust uh moise Keen yet enough to play him in big games or just to yeah yeah just to play him in big games uh, i guess which okay that's fine and I mean, that's one of the possibilities. Another possibility is that given that we have, well, actually two fit strikers. I didn't know Caillou uh, uh, George was uh, fit, actually. I was surprised. I, you came on, of course, for against uh, Torino. But yeah, I mean, in essence, one fit striker. I mean, you know, George is fit, but he's just, you know, just got fit, just joined the club. So I don't think we can throw him right into the deep end. So yeah, with one fit striker, maybe he thought, okay, you know, their muscle injuries with Dybala and Morata. So, I mean, we still don't really know how long exactly they're going to be out for. So maybe he's kind of thinking, worst case scenario, they're going to be out for a while. So I'm going to only have one striker available. So we don't want to get him fit or burned out or, I don't know, suspended or whatever. So maybe he was kind of playing a long game in that sense as well. But, I mean, really, I think it was primarily just a tactical ploy and a smart one, I think, because, you know, Chelsea played with three-man back line, uh, three, four, three out of the front. Three were quite fluid. Well, Ziyech and um, who, was, who was the other one that played? Uh, Havertz. Havertz. Uh, Ziyech and Havertz uh, were, I mean, they rotate a lot and were just very uh, fluid. But really with a three-man back line, you don't want to play... I think you want to have a very mobile forward line because, I mean, you have like a numerical disadvantage. So you don't want to put, put your strikers right up against their defenders because they're just going to outmuscle you and outnumber you. So in that sense, I guess it made, made sense to have wingers up top to just move in that space between, first of all, between the lines, but then also between the center back and the wing backs, that like little pocket behind them which yeah he is and, and Bernadeschi did excellently clearly and yeah I mean they got the win and I still I still can't believe it really I'm like wow we beat defending champions and I mean they I mean they didn't play well at all Chelsea I mean I, I was very very surprised which is either we played so well that they weren't able to play well or they just had the complete off day or some mixture of the two um but you know, I don't want to blab on too long, but, um, you know, I'll let the Sergio take the floor here. I think that's an, that's an interesting, you know, dilemma in general about whether, you know, whether Chelsea was, you know, would just have a bad game or whether Juba was that good. It's, it's tough to say, especially because Chelsea was also, you know, without, you know, N'Golo Kante, which, you know, it depends on, on your mileage. But, you know, for my money, I think one of the best midfielders in the world, perhaps the best midfielder in the world right now. So obviously, uh, you know, a uh, uh, not counting with that guy is definitely, you know, an impact. But I, I do think that Chelsea did bring pretty much, you know, outside of those, you know, key, you know, key missing players. I think that they, they came, they came out, you know, guns loaded and credit where credit's due. I mean, even, 
you know, within our own Slack channel, we were like, okay, so Bernardeschi is playing like a false nine role or like a central midfielder. Sure. Like, I mean, what, the, like, let's see it. And, and to his credit, he, he played well, he, he did what, what he had to do in that position. And, you know, jumping forward a little bit, you know, just on the topic of Bernadeschi specifically, he also looked pretty decently playing like in the center of the of the pitch in against Torino in the second half when he was kind of like switched over there. You know, just another position that he's, you know, getting getting a shot at, at playing and he's, you know, looked decently. Uh, th- that to me was the biggest shock of that Chelsea match. First, that, that Bernardeschi was good at all, like in general, was a legitimate shock when, you know, put in that position that, that he played well was, was key, was massive. And that the much belaguered, you know, Juve defense got a, got a shutout against, you know, arguably one of the top attacks in Europe. So that, that to me was definitely the most unexpected thing, definitely the most surprising thing. Uh, it was, I, I think I referred to it in, in the graph back, it brought back flashes of that matchup against Barcelona in, in 2017, where it, you saw a lot of the same transitions. It was a lot of just positional defending, in, in especially in the flanks with uh, Juan Cuadrado and Danilo, for example, or Alexandro and, and Chiesa with Bernardeschi there. Th- there was just a lot of, you know, good rotational defending, good, you know, positional defending. There, the, we, we were not seeing all the holes that were, you know, being left open in, in the previous weeks, just when, when you, when a guy attacked, there was another guy in the back, you know, just kind of like subbing in for that, that, that position. And I do think that was a market market improvement from what we were seeing in, in terms of defense and credit where credits do. I mean, they, they pitched a shutout. They really did. They, they allowed Lukaku really one shot on goal uh, late, late in the in the match, and and it wasn't a particularly easy shot either. You know, Bonucci closed down really quick. Walsh closed down really quick. It, I mean, th- that was just a complete day and night from the team we were used to seeing. That just the previous week allowed four goals to Spezia and Sampdoria. So, you know, just just a massive, massive step forwards that we've said it over and over again every time Juventus plays well for the last couple of years like this is the game that is going to turn things around i'm not going to say this is the game that's going to turn things around because we've seen before that this team can perform well up to a certain you know in a couple of games here and there we need to see it consistently but i think this is by far the most impressive showing that we've seen from the current iteration of Juventus and Honestly, arguably, in like a whole calendar year, I think this is the best game they've played, especially considering the level of competition. The way they kind of got the win was also pretty impressive. Just just consider me a whole more optimistic than I was, you know, when we were recording uh, last week. And, you know, it's funny even, and I agree with that, Sergio, and it's like even... With the fact that in the first half, uh, I thought our passing was still a little erratic and very ill hurried. And, you know, it seems to be like, okay, people were just very, like, too excited almost. Um, but even with that, it was still indeed, you know, probably the best performance of, yeah, calendar year or just, yeah, recent history and considering uh, the uh, quality of the opposition. And I remember I wanted to point out one specific thing that. Real Ferdinand actually, actually in his uh, post-match analysis on, uh, I guess it was BT Sport, I guess. He was talking about like how Bonucci defended on Lukaku just throughout the 90 minutes, uh, which 
that in itself was surprising because so usually, I mean, Chiellini is the one that really is, you know, has the task of, uh, has the honor of marking uh, Lukaku. Of course, Chiellini was on the bench, but you would, I guess, intuitively just expect uh, the Licht to be the, 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 the guard on Lukaku, uh, just given that they're both essentially equally physical and just they love that physical battle together, both as attackers and defenders. But yeah, Bonucci was the one up against him. And and yeah, you you think that's kind of a counterintuitive thing. But I like how Ferdinand basically broke down like how Bonucci would never stick like really tight on Lukaku. He would always leave like a yard of space. And, and, and the way he showed that, which I thought was nice, is like he always showed pictures of like Bonucci's hand like stretched, um, like kind of being like, okay, this is the distance, quite literally in arm's length. This is the distance I'm going to keep between Lukaku and myself. And I, I thought that was kind of a cool, like the way he portrayed that. I was like, oh yeah, like literally an arm's length of distance. And well, it's also really, I mean, really good analysis from Ferdinand. Um, he said that the one time that he didn't have that distance where he was like right up against it, that was that chance like late in the game that, I mean, Lukaku probably could have scored. But again, I mean, even then he closed down quickly and, you know, Walsh uh, closed that down quickly as well. But yeah, I thought that was just really interesting analysis, just on that style of defending, just thinking about, you know, you as a defender yourself, okay, what are my, you know, strengths? What are my weaknesses? Who am I up against? Okay, given that, you know, what style of defending should I take on? Should I be right up on him? Or should I just, you know, leave that yard of space? And he was saying, uh, Ferdinand again was saying that Lukaku loves playing against defenders that are right up against them because he just, he rolls them like he just kind of like, you know, yeah, quite just rolls. I mean, it's hard to do that on a uh, audio podcast to show, <laughs> show how he does that. But yeah, he just kind of like basically rotates the defender off of him and then just like, you know, runs past him. Uh, again, it's hard to show this on an audio platform, but I'm sure you follow me. <laughs> well, that, you know, that has to be credit to at least in some part facing Lukaku for the last couple of years, right? I mean, they've they've played him at least two times a season for the last two years. So, and I, I believe they faced him in the champions league before that, when he was with United, I think. So they've got some experience and then obviously on the international level as well, but you know, they, they, they have that experience of knowing Lukaku. So it's not like, you know, of, of English teams previously where Juventus really hasn't faced many of their players before. So, but I mean, it, it's just funny how, you know, the coming into the season, people were kind of perceiving Chelsea as one striker away. They get Lukaku, then it's like, okay, they're going to be this unstoppable machine. And well, of course, it's in the Champions League. It's a you've at least for one one night at least. It's a Juventus that had been all over the place defensively and allowing goals right and left. And that's that's the team that stops them. So you know, throw throw logic out the window because you know apparently this Juventus season continues to uh, be confusing in all different kinds of ways. It, it was also particularly, you know, surprising that this wasn't the game in which, you know, the keeper in which Woj had to, you know, you know, make a bunch of great saves or that Chelsea missed a bunch of sitters or whatever. Like the, really outside of the last like two, three minutes where they got a couple headers from, from set pieces, which is, you know, quick, quick side note. I think that's a problem that that's the thing that they still have to work on because I do think they give up a lot of headers on set pieces, but, you know, removing that, you really can't point to Chelsea 
getting a bunch of, of attacks, getting a bunch of shots in. Like they had the possession, they moved the ball around the midfield a whole bunch and really couldn't do much, really didn't do much. And that, that to me is when, you know, a lot of people's like, oh, well, they Chelsea dominated the game. It's like, well, just because you have possession doesn't really mean you dominated that game. And, and at no point, and it was weird, obviously the last few minutes got a bit nervy, but up until those last 80, 85 minutes, I never really felt anxious about the result because they were just not showing up a whole bunch. They were just not getting quality shots. They were just passing the ball around, trying to cross. The cross would, you know, would get bounced and that's it. Like, you know, fresh, like rinse repeats. Like it really wasn't super dangerous attack that they, they put forth. So th- that to me was the most, most impressive thing, you know, to, to be able to shut out the team like that in such a way, it really, really brought back those, like it really made you think, oh, that's why they brought a guy like Max Oligi back because there's not a, a ton of coaches that can put a team that can, you know, do those type of, of performances that can just, just so expertly drilled when it comes to rotations, when it comes to spacing, when it comes to all of that, it was just really, really, really impressive. And it just makes you wonder, like, where where the hell was that all like all season? Like, I mean, <laughs> th- they were just not doing that, and then suddenly, you know, turn a flip. Turn, it, it seemed like they just turned the switch on, and now they can do those type of performances. So, it was really, really impressive. I, I was really, really happy with with how that game turned out. Yeah, Chelsea had one shot on goal. Juventus had one shot on goal, and obviously, Federico Chiesa made sure to score it. And that was I. You, I can't remember who who mentioned it. Whether it was whether it was one of our, our guys on the site or, or a commenter, but you know they they were saying just kind of how you know we mentioned you mentioned the possession, Sergio. Just kind of how empty a lot of Chelsea's possession was. It was really just a lot of passing, you know, passing back and forth at the back or passing, you know, in the midfield. It wasn't a lot of say like Juventus, a lot of direct kind of stuff and. I I can't remember a team poorly crossing as much as Chelsea did because so many of their crosses. I mean, obviously you've got a striker like Lukaku who's just a big bull in the air who can you know run through people, and Chelsea just misfired on so many damn crosses. I mean, they were going high, they were going wide. I mean, it's just it was all over the place. But of course, you know, like again, like you said, Sergio, on set pieces your anxiety goes up a little bit whenever you see that happening late in the game or corner kick against Juventus or Chelsea going to the, going to a free kick, just because we know this team and we know how thin that, that margin was against Chelsea. Just, you know, one mistake could, could throw away a win. But I mean, I was, you know, color me shocked a little bit that they, that they held on because there's so many times we've seen this team give away a lead, especially this season too. Yeah, and, and I just wanted to make a note on that uh, whole possession kind of statistics thing. Because, yeah, you're right, Sergio and, and Danny as well. It's like, it, it's to me, it's still one of the biggest misconceptions in, in football that people think, oh, because you had, you know, 70, 80% ball position, therefore you dominated. And it's like, you know, <laughs> it's it's just a typical story of how statistics can be extremely deceiving. And statistics at their core, they're just numbers. It is the interpretation of the statistics that you know matters it's like okay you had 80 percent ball position well what was that possession was it uh you know tiago silva and uh, uh antonio rudiger playing uh you know one twos all the time <laughs> or was it 
60 touches in, in our box by Lukaku and, you know, yeah, all kinds of like threatening stuff like that, which it wasn't obviously, but yeah, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me, I guess, just to give a, an analogy, maybe it, it reminds me of when, so, so I used to work for a nonprofit for a few years and uh, one of the things we learned, or I, well, I learned anyway, hopefully everybody learned it, but one of the things I learned was this difference between outputs and outcomes. So outputs is just like, you know, you're measuring uh, how many kids attended your after-school program, like every you know day or whatever, every week. And people, the misconception there again is like people get all excited, like, oh, okay, we had hundred kids in our after-school program. Man, we're doing amazing. And it's it, it like I said, it's that parallel again with the possession thing. It's like, well, okay, but what did those kids do? Did they gain anything from it? Did they actually learn anything? Did you did they actually become you know? better kids are they uh staying out of you know crime are they committing less crimes are they doing less drugs like you know it's like so what kind of like if they did uh if they were at all these classes and you know with outcomes it's like okay what was the impact did the high school graduation rate increase did the you know poverty rate decrease and all that kind of stuff so i think it's it's a similar thing here with like possession numbers it's like or just stats like that like okay great you got 80 percent ball possession but well you know, what did that do? What did that lead to? And, you know, I mean, that kind of stuff doesn't bother me. It's, it's like Sergio said, it's like that feeling of like, you know, we, I didn't, I agree. I didn't really feel like we were going to concede actually, which is remarkable. You know, I really didn't feel much of a, yeah, much of a concern about, oh, it's a matter of time before we concede. I felt like, yeah, things were basically okay. Yeah. I mean, a few crosses that might have come a little too close to the water so I was like oh man you know but again like you said overall crossing wasn't great by Chelsea so yeah I mean it, it was just a very controlled game but it's funny because at the same time it's like it is equally like joyful to have such a game as it is frustrating because it's like we are capable of this kind of performance and to think that we choose you know once in a blue moon to you know to, to do a performance like this is is it's yeah I mean it's like proud okay against Chelsea but it's like frustrating it's it, it, it you know I said this I think last year that we were kind of like a Champions League type of team in the sense that you know in the league okay we play against Genoa we play against you know Benevento we're like ah you know okay we screw it up but then oh the big occasion against Barcelona away that we need to win 3-0 boom and, you know and then we like raise it up it's like only those like big like glamour occasions that we like step up and I mean it's frustrating but that's why I think I've stopped wishing for like easy draws in in knockout rounds I'm like yeah you know what whatever just get us Bayern or something because that's the only time when we feel like doing like performing apparently so yeah we'll we'll see if we make it to the next round I mean hell you know Bayern Real Madrid well Real Madrid if they even make it actually <laughs> yeah bring on the bring on the big guns well then Chucks I'll throw it back to you knowing that Juventus did follow up their win against Chelsea with a win and a shutout against Torino in the, in the Derby on Saturday. Was that the kind of performance, obviously the, the defense, especially was it like, okay, finally there's, there's something, I mean, are we, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, are we feeling a little more comfortable than we are confident than we were say, I don't know, seven days ago when we recorded last. So first of all, great transition, um, <laughs> great smooth transition, Thank smooth you. as ice there. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, more confident, definitely. The, the Torino game was weird, you know, it, because the first half was actually... So we, we, we basically took the same approach of, like, Chelsea into the Torino game. You know, you like, just solid, you know, two banks of four and just, you know, shut them out and then just, you know, lurk for that one opportunity, that one counter opportunity. Um, so works great against a team like Chelsea that's very, you know, gung-ho, you know, all guns blazing uh, kind of team. But yeah, then against a team like Torino, which, I mean, obviously they're not, you know, it's not Samba football or anything with Torino. Um, it's a little trickier. And I think we saw that in the first half because um, I forget the exact stats, but I think in the first half, like Torino actually had more shots and more, you know, more opportunities on goal and just generally probably played better than us in the first half. I, I thought anyway, and I think it does show a little bit of problems with this type of like one size fits all approach that we tried of like, you know, two banks of four, just like solid defense. I think it works great against a team like Chelsea, but then against a team like Torino, it's like, okay, do you maybe have to switch it up a little bit or, or change that approach? Yeah. Just a little bit more. I mean, eventually it worked. It was still great, you know, uh, great defensive performance and, you know, that one late, late goal by uh, Locatelli, which was uh, really, really just smooth shot. I love that uh, a little uh, R1 circle shot, as you would say in the PlayStation. But yeah, I mean, I, I did have some concerns about just doing that type of approach against teams like Torino, Empoli, or well, we lost Empoli, but Salamintana, like, you know, teams like that. But yeah, I mean, overall, it seems like there's at least more of an idea of what, what on earth we're doing and like, you know, there seems to be a pretty good idea of the starting 11 and just the the, the starting up or just the approach and just the idea of what we're trying, how we're trying to play. And yeah, that's, that's very um, encouraging. And yeah, it's like a good foundation to build off now uh, for the, uh, you know, for just the next 30 some games in the season or 20 some games in the season. Uh, you know, the thing that really, you know, made me much more optimistic about the outlook of this team going forward after this couple of games that we just saw was how they were able to adapt to losing the, their two, you know, most informed attackers, arguably their two first choice attackers in the team in, mm-hmm. in Paulo Dival and Alvaro Morata. I think they, I, I think they knew that they would have to be a lot more defensive against Chelsea. I guess we didn't really expect them to go at it the same way against Torino. But when you think about it, it makes sense. They were still without those two guys. It was obviously going to be a lot more defensive than we probably would have hoped for, you know, despite the opponent. And I, I think it was, you know, pretty very well-managed game in the sense that they, they went into the first half trying to replicate the, the success against Chelsea because they were very defensive. They were soaking up a lot of pressure against Torino I, I even I, I think I tweeted during the game that you know it was like a weirdly similar first half in the sense that they soaked up a lot of pressure and tried to hit them on the counter they had a couple chances against Torino in the first half that you know maybe one of them goes in the game changes but it, it was very weird to see them you know kind of like employ the same game plan against the team that is decidedly not the champions of Europe you know so it was weird to see them do that exact same, same, you know, plan of attack, I would say. But, you know, you, you think about it and it's like, well, it, it wasn't really working the same way because of Moise Keane. Moise Keane is not, 
he I pointed out to him as, as someone who could take advantage of that opportunity of Morata being out of the ball, being out, and, and he just he didn't. Uh, he was pretty bad against Torino in the first half. And credit to to Allegri. I, I think you know I I am a big fan of Moise Keane. I think he can definitely put it all together and, and become a, a very good striker. I would have seen him. I would have liked seeing him get a little bit of more of runtime especially with the team being a bit more offensive minded in the second half, but, you know, credit with credit still. I mean, that, that change really opened up the game, really changed the games, uh, bringing in Juan Cuadrado. It opened up the game for Juventus. It really ended up being a, a key, key move. And it, it's just good to see that this team is finally being very adaptable in the sense that it feels like they can play offensive football. They, they can definitely play defensive football for once they could finally do it this this week. There were a lot of signs, small signs, if you will, small signs of improvement, but signs that can lead you to believe that this team is is finally headed into the right direction. I think that those were two back to back performances that were fairly, fairly convincing. And of course, now it's international break, so you know who knows. Maybe they come back, and you know all that momentum is is lost. But as far as as good as it could have gone for this week, I think it did. And, you know, slowly, surely, quietly, but it's a four game winning streak. That's that's not nothing. That's pretty that's pretty good. All things considered. I know I'm about to give myself more editing to do, but these international breaks, man, right when right when good stuff starts happening, they they always seem to pop up, don't they? It was the same thing last year with, uh, not not last year, but well, yes, last year I think it happened a couple of times before international break. But even with with under Sari, I remember that they had the best games before the breaks. Like I remember they had a really good game before the winter break, and then they had that really really good game against Inter. And I guess that wasn't really an international break. That was a, the, the pandemic. But it was also like, oh yeah, this team is finally like this was a really good game. They can build on this. And then boom, pandemic, like, you know, everything, everything went to hell. So yeah, it, it, hopefully this break, this break is going to be good because I think it gives both Morata and Dybala more time to rest, time to, you know, get their, get their injuries fixed up. But it's also like, it is frustrating because like we're finally seeing, you know, this team put up back-to-back good performances, four-game winning streak. They're building on something and it's international break. I, I just... I just hope that that no one gets hurt. Just please let no one get hurt, and and maybe let's you know keep seeing this momentum moving forward. Yeah, it does make you see why uh, there have been so many suggestions for like changing the international structure or schedule and structure and just you know the way games uh international games are played and qualifying rounds and all that. It does make you see why why those suggestions are out there. That said, I don't think a uh, biennial World Cup is quite the solution to that. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see with that. Yeah, just on the, on the uh, Moiskin point, it is a little bit concerning that just, if well, his form right now and just also the fact that, I mean, at the end of the day, he has two wingers essentially more favored. Well, not, well, three sort of, but two, three wingers favored ahead of him in the center forward position when he's the only, uh, well, Caius Georgia, but he's the only center forward in the squad. And it's like, we're legit playing a a player whose career was essentially 
that Juve career was essentially written off and, you know, disregarded uh, Federico Bernadeschi in center forward ahead of him. And that's, um, yeah, that's a little concerning, but I don't know. I mean, you know, it's only been the first, uh, you know, month and a half or so of the season. So obviously it's still more than enough time to recover. But I also did want to shout out to uh, Dejan Kulusevsky for a really, really, really good sub uh, performance against uh, Dorino um, yet, well, yesterday for us. I thought, yeah, he was really, really impressive. I've been very critical of him in the last, uh, yeah, I mean, six to 12 months or so. So that's why I felt the need to uh, give him some credit there and say that he really was, uh, yeah, very good. And yeah, center forward position as well. So we have all these wingers that can play center forward. It's, uh, yeah, stranger than fiction, really. (laughs) Well, before we get to Twitter questions, and one of them just happens to be, again, about Moise Keane, we, we've talked a lot about Chiesa, so I'll hold it there. But we got really good performances this week out of, again, out of Manuel Locatelli, and obviously he got the, the game winner against Torino. But as we talked about him last week, Matthias Delict, and we talked about him a little bit when we were talking about Lukaku, but he he looked like the, and I'm going to throw it to our, our resident Dutchman here, he looked like the Ajax Delict this past week, didn't he? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, I mean, he was indeed excellent. And I think that's, that's the result of just having just a good collective around him. And, you know, we forget that, especially with defending, it's like, it's so much of a collective effort. I think in contrast to attacking, I mean, with attacking, you can, I mean, of course, it's still collective, you know, effort in attacking, but I think in attack, you can more get away with just having like, one maybe two like amazing individuals like Cristiano Ronaldo just kind of do everything by themselves and then you know rescue team uh whereas in defense you know you can you can obviously have one defender do amazing but if the three other ones two or three other ones are bad then uh yeah I mean you kind of have a kind of have a problem but yeah De Ligt was yeah he was indeed excellent and and like I said just in the Chelsea game in the unusual or just slightly surprising that he was Basically, I mean, he was playing Bonucci's role and Bonucci was technically playing uh, the list role because, you know, the list is usually the one that's uh, the man marker and the, the one that's, you know, you know, the physical, uh, you know, battering ram there and just taking care of things. But um, yeah, he was the one cleaning up, you know, and just the, yeah, just sweeping up behind and just making sure, uh, yeah, covering for other, uh, other teammates. And yeah, I mean, he was, like I said, he was great. And just once again, just the result of a good, collective effort in the back four so you know let's uh keep it up um, my man Matthijs uh keep it up and uh keep growing them thighs I I agree I, I struggle to to really you know with the with the prestigious uh much desired graph back MVP points especially in the Chelsea game because there were so many so many guys that really pitched into that defensive performance you know speaking of, of what Chucks was saying about how you definitely need a collective and that was definitely a collective because I think everyone really stepped up when they needed to step up. And one of those guys was was definitely Matthijs De Ligt. I've I've been sort of vocal about how I, I still think he can, you know, go to that next level, go to that next, you know, performance. And and he did. This week was everything that that I was hoping he would do. I mean, he was exactly Ajax De Ligt. Like he was very aggressive, uh, just very assertive. Just, just a really, really good, good performance. And he did that both with Chiellini and with Bonucci, which I, I think was really, really key 
because a lot of us, especially last year, I think he looked a lot more shaky paired up with Bonucci than with Chiellini. And I think he was just as good being paired with either one on, on in this week. So it, it was really, really a great performance. It, arguably one of the most important players in both both matches. You know, it, it speaks to, and, and we can talk about this later, but it speaks to how good other guys were that he kind of was the, the underrated under the, the underrated player in this this string of results because he has been really, really, really good. Shall we get to some Twitter questions, gentlemen? Yeah, let's cruise on up to some Twitter questions. We just talked about Delict, so we will continue talking about Delict. From at Born Bruin 77, do you think it might be a compatibility issue between players, and is it possible they misscouted Delict and thought he might have a higher ceiling? Uh, I guess I'll take that one first. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I I don't want to look too far into things. Uh, no, yeah, compatibility. I mean, again, defending Come on, is... Come you need to look for, too far into everything. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, people like doing that these days. Really. Exactly. <laughs> um, in, both in politics and in sports, but you know, I digress. Yeah, like I said, I mean, defending is a collective effort, so it is very much important to have um, a defender. If you get a new defender... A defender who does fit into the unit stylistically, but then also, you know, I remember um, I haven't mentioned him in a while, but Tim Vickery, I remember he, you know, mentioned how like people forget about language, like about how you know, especially with defending, you're constantly communicating, you know, constantly saying, okay, you know, move right, move left. Oh, you, I gotta cover you. I gotta cover like all that constant like instructions and just. I mean, I know that the lift has been uh, very enthusiastic about learning Italian, so that's nice. But yeah, I mean, you have to—you can't forget that he doesn't speak Italian. I mean, fluently anyway. So there is there is that language barrier, and that—I mean—that obviously takes a while to kind of, you know, get used to and just kind of to overcome. But um, yeah, I mean, that 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 can always be a factor too, just in helping kind of fit into the unit. But no, I mean, I, I think. Delicht, in terms of scouting, uh, yeah, I think he very much fits into the unit. I mean, he's closest to Chiellini, who's obviously, I mean, he maybe has a season or two left in him. So the most natural replacement there for Chiellini. But then, like I said, with the Chelsea game, we saw a part of his game where he essentially was Bonucci, sort of. I mean, without maybe without the long-range passing, but where he kind of was Bonucci in the sense of cleaning up, you know, and that kind of legal role. So I guess that shows that he has a little bit of both in them. So yeah, kind of natural replacement for both of them when they, you know, in the next two, three years probably will retire. Agreed. Agreed hundred percent. I think it wasn't a, a lack of scouting. I think it's just been that he hasn't been really in the best positions since he joined the team and not in the sense of, necessarily schematically because he's a center back he's been playing as a center back but just in general right I think it's been since he signed it's been two of the most chaotic seasons that Juventus has had in well 15 years maybe ever since the the, the Calciopoli scandal so it's 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 hard for me to ask him to do more than what he has done given the conditions of the team as a whole and so I was really looking forward to him actually being coached by Max Allegri, a dude who, you know, is a very good defensive coach and, and seeing if he could take that next step. So far, I think the results have been pretty encouraging. So 
I, I want to see more of what we've seen the last couple of games. But I mean, the guy has all the talent in the world. He, he has everything he needs to kind of like become that guy. And if Juventus not doesn't screw it up, if they can somehow, some way not screw it up, you have a guy that can that can be a, a perfect link between that, you know, current Chiellini Bonucci par- partnership, like a guy that can be a top center back for the next 10 years, right? Like if they don't screw this up, they can they can have him as just a, a solid, solid a one option in in defense for the next ten years. I, I still believe that, and and his recent performances have just assured me of of that idea. Or if uh, Mino Raiola doesn't screw it up, ah, uh, don't forget. That's right. Well, next question here from at Rudy Melchiori. What is the future of this team if Paulo Dybala just keeps running into injury issues? That's tough. That's tough because right now I think Juventus is in a weird place in which. They want to build around Paulo Dybala. They want to give him that responsibility. And that, that's been said, you know, from, from in press conferences. They give him, they gave him the, the captain's armband. They, they really want to make this his team. And when they have done so, we have seen him play really well. But they also have another guy in Federico Chiesa, who's also a very good offensive player, who can also, if you wanted to, you could very easily say, you know what, we're building around this guy and this is going to be our guy for the next 10 years, right? So they're in a weird, weird position in which I do think that they should still be doing what they're doing in, in trying to build around Dybala. I think that's a guy that, that has all the talent in the world and he has been showing that. Like the fir- those first 20 minutes that he had in, in, in the Sampdoria game, if I'm not mistaken, it, it was incredible that that was him operating at his peak and he was so so good and if you if he keeps getting hurt i think they have a pretty decent plan b option in in federico chiesa just say look if he can't stay on the field we're going to build around this other guy and and we're going to keep trucking on so as far as options are concerned i think juventus in in a rare position in which they can afford to try to build their project around dibala and if it doesn't work out if he keeps getting hurt if, if he never, you know, reaches the, the level that they want him to reach, then they can sort of easily move, you know, move on and say, well, Kies is the, the, the next guy up. So I, I think in that sense, they are in a very comfortable position, shall we say. Is, does his injury problems continue? I don't know. I mean, who knows? He's, he's 27, I think. He's in his prime physical, you know, state, supposedly. Because I'm, I'm 28 and I sure as hell don't feel in my prime, but whatever. So, you know, technically he should not be getting those those injuries. And he was never really a particularly injury prone guy. But who knows, honestly, it, it's been weird. It's been weird the fact that he, you know, he was never really injury prone. And then after that, you know, later years, Mauricio Sarri, he's always getting this knacks, this muscle thing that knocks him out, you know, a couple of weeks, a month here and there. It's just been... It hasn't been great. I, I'm not ready to, you know, dove him the much, you know, you know, the, the, the term that really horrifies most people that like, quote unquote, injury prone. I'm not really willing to go there just yet. But if this keeps going, like it's going to be a problem. It's definitely going to be a problem if you try to build a team around him and he keeps getting hurt. That That's not going to that's not going to end up being good for him, for Paulo Dybala. I think Juventus as a whole can keep trucking on. 
But for him, for Paulo Dybala, for his Juventus career, is really, to me, this is his best. And given his contract situation and everything, probably last chance of really asserting himself as, as, as the guy at Juventus. Yeah, I couldn't say it any better myself, really. Um, yeah, um, I agree. All right, in the well, sense. on to the next one. Good, 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 good. Touche, <laughs> <laughs> oh, touche. Um, <laughs> like I said, it's, it's, or like you said, uh, Sergio, the only thing really is just that that switch from not really being injury or just having injuries to suddenly the last few years, um, having all those injuries that definitely is strange. And like, I mean, I don't know, someone should look into that, I guess, uh, in terms of the medical staff. But the only thing I remember reading was that the turning point maybe was when I think against Lyon and Lyon in the Champions League game where he just came back from injury and essentially wasn't fit and then forced like forced to like really wanted to keep playing uh, or wanted to start that game and then essentially aggravated that injury more than before. And then I, I remember reading that that was like kind of a turning point there that in terms of his fitness and stuff. So I, yeah, I don't it know. Was, it was the, up until that point, obviously he was injured for a couple of weeks before that, but I remember, you know, post, you know, writing about the will he or won't he start. And then once it became clear that he wouldn't start, well, how many minutes does he have to give off the bench if you were, if he's healthy enough to play. And then obviously he played and then he re-aggravated the injury rather quickly, and then he tried to play through that injury and then made it worse, and now it's kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, you know, we lost amidst all of that and, and the chaos of that, you know, Sarri season between COVID, between just the general, you know, cluster of the Mauricio Sarri era, you know, he, he was really, really good. Like, people forget he was really, really good that year, and... He was actually the MVP of the league. I mean, you know, sure people have their own gripes with that that award, but he was the best player in the league. So, you know, it really it if he never goes back to that point, if he just never finally asserts himself as the guy for Juventus, I think we're going to look back at that game against Leon and him trying to push past that injury because he was that good that they were willing to to risk him. And it's like, go out for 20 minutes and you've been so good that maybe you can somehow win this game for us. And, and you know, he obviously re-aggravated that injury and it's been it's been all downhill. So if, if you know, Paulo Dybala never manages to become the guy that I think most of us want him to become, I think that's going to be a, a major, major turning point in his career. Yeah, I just want to point out before we move on to the next Twitter question, I looked up his injury history here on on Transfer Market's website and before the shutdown in Italy. So that would be, you know, March. And don't forget, Paulo Dybala also had coronavirus for a month and a half. So that, who knows how much, you know, that might have affected his, affected his body as a whole too. But in four or in about four years, he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different injuries. And a couple of them are stated here as unknown injuries. Since that Lyon game, Chucks, that you mentioned, he's had one, two, three, four, and now he's on his fifth fifth injury. So, as we said, you know, a few, you know, a handful of injuries over the course of four or five years, okay, that's that's going to happen. But to have that many injuries within us, you know, what, two years, basically, that's, 
I don't know. Obviously, we don't know his his complete medical history because we're not looking at his at his files that Juventus have. But yeah, you you look at where he was prior to Lyon and now after Lyon, and it's like, well, there might be a what what does it say causation and correlation or something like that, Chucks? I was just thinking about actually. <laughs> yeah, I was really. I was just about I could to see, say that. I could see yeah. you go. I could kind of see the wheel spinning as I was yeah, talking. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, yeah. Correlation is not causation. That's like the. Uh, I mean, that's like the all ten commandments of social studies that in one sentence. That's uh, yeah. That is uh, indeed correlation is not causation. But yeah, no. I mean, definitely. Yeah, something. I mean. It's a good chance that there's something going on there. Obviously, we're not the scientists or anything, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's you know still notable, and yeah, who knows? Who knows what's uh, going on there? Alrighty, here. Next question from at Eugene High, and hello, Eugene. Do you think McKenney and Rabio shouldn't start anymore and be used as rotation slash Copa Italia players? And why is Allegri so often with his subs? So often late with his subs, I should say. Uh, yeah, McKenney and Rabio. I don't know. I mean, really, how many times have they played together? I think only, um, yeah. I mean, against Torino, and then I can't remember off the top of my head if they've played together additionally. So, I don't know. I think that's a small sample size. I can't really say on that. Although, it does remind me of the kind of everlasting debate we had about um, Rabiot and Bentancur uh, playing together and how that was just the eternally dysfunctional pivot. Those, uh, were, those were fun. <laughs> yes, I do remember that. And, you know, funny enough, they're now playing together in the same midfield at the same time, and it's working. Remarkably, it's working. Although, obviously, some significant differences here between situation now and then when we were complaining about it. Yeah, I mean, two differences. Locatelli is obviously here. That's a huge difference. So that changes the balance of the team and or the midfield anyway, the central center of midfield. And then another big difference is that Rabio is now playing on that kind of left midfield position kind of drifting inside uh, and I think those two factors apparently have fixed that problem so um, yeah I mean that's that's yeah that's something to note there but in terms of McKinney and, and what was it, it was McKinney and Rabio he said right uh, playing together yeah yeah again I mean I don't I don't see them as ne- necessarily synonymous players I mean I don't I feel like yeah I mean I feel like McKinney is kind of more box to box but then Rabio is sort of as well I mean I think they could, just off the top of my head, I mean, I think they could really function well together. Yeah, but too early to tell. Final verdict, <laughs> too early to tell. Yeah, I think, you know, he, he was saying, like, just relegate them to Coppa Italia. I just think even if they were as bad as, as you know, our listener thinks they are <laughs> based on, on his suggestion on them, Juve just doesn't really have all that much depth. Like, even if they wanted to just reserve them for for, you know, not using them all that much like they just don't have that many guys so i think we're going to keep seeing them you know get a lot of minutes i i do i am higher on on rabio i think he is doing some things i think he's doing some really good things on that left side i don't think he's quite a perfect fit but for as of this right now, like given the, the depth that they have right now at the position, given the players that are out, given the way that Allegri is trying to play right now, I think he's played pretty decently in that, that spot. He's not perfect. You know, to me, the, the perfect encapsulation of him as a player, even as a whole, was that moment against Chelsea when he, he jumps a, a, a errant pass. He makes this great run forward. It's a two, two, one, two versus one. 
on the counterattack. And then he just gives the worst pass to Bernardeschi, who's running alongside him. Just a, a like in, in no man's land. Like it's not to the players, not to his pace, just a horrible pass. And it's like, that's who he is. Like he does so many things right, but he can't quite put everything together. And, and to me, that, that's what Raviot is. Again, a guy that just has not been in the best position at Juventus ever since he arrived. He just hasn't been in, in a place where you could really say that he's being put in the best position to succeed. And with Allegri, hopefully that changes because I do still believe that he has a lot of good skills and a lot of talent. And I think he, if he puts it all together, he could be a really productive player for this team. As far as McKinney, I that's the guy that I'm most concerned about because he's been really, really disappointing this season. He he hasn't really been good at, at anything. I, I don't I don't think he's he's he hasn't really brought all that energy that we saw, you know, last year. You know, positionally, he's still kind of like a no no man's land. When he was tried as an attacking midfielder, it was just a disaster. It was a one-game experiment because that's not really his role. That's the guy that I'd be most concerned about him finally seeing if he can figure out and find that form that made him such a, you know, such a pleasanter prize last year, because I do think that he was one of the better players last year up until he got hurt. So it's, it's, it's up to him to see if he, you know, regains that form because so far, honestly, outside of Ramsey, I think that's the guy that I've been least impressed with. I think every other player in, in that midfield has had flashes, but McKinney just right now is not really showing much. I, I don't really see him as, as, a, as that guy that we saw last year. So hopefully he, he can get some sort of, of, of form back and, you know, it's too early to call the, to call it a, a Juve career for him, obviously, but he has to start, you know, get, getting it back because we did see a lot of good stuff from him last year, and that's just not, not around this season. Oof, when he's in Aaron Ramsey territory, oof. Yeah. Well, he's still he's still above Aaron Ramsey to be fair, <laughs> but you know, that's not a particularly high bar to clear. The withering scorn of Sergio. No man is spared. <laughs> no man is spared. No man is safe. That's right. Alluded to it a couple minutes ago, but. Question here from at Diego R. Naranjo. Is it me or is Moise Keen overrated? I mean, overrated is a little harsh, but um, uh, plus, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't really feel like many people, not, not that people said that Moise Keen was terrible. I mean, I don't feel like many people were saying like, oh, Moise Keen is the next uh, Lionel Messi or something. I mean, I think overall, I think the assessments on Moise Keen were just pretty reasonable. Like, yeah, he's a good striker. He's you know, capable of pretty good things, but I mean, I will, I will it. say this. I will say this. It does seem like our comment section is very much split on what they think Moise Keen can do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just see him as like a striker that could get maybe, I don't know, 10 to 15 goals per season and provide just a different tactical option. Just a good backup striker. I mean, yeah, that, I, yeah. And that's, that's kind of, my stance on it right now, yeah, I think that's really so. I, I don't know. I wouldn't say overrated because I don't think I rated him personally. Anyway, I don't think I rated him, you know, above the moon or something or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, he's struggling a bit now, definitely. But yeah, I have faith that he can overcome this. 
I think that, that all depends how you rate him, right? To see if he's overrated or underrated. I I think he's he's still a super young guy. Like despite the fact that we've, you know, his breakout season was uh when Cristiano Ronaldo was first signed. So that's three, four years ago. So it feels like he's been around for a for a long time, but he's really still very young. He's 21 years old. So it's very hard for me to to you know say he's overrated or underrated. I think when he's been given a chance to play, he's shown that he can score goals. Uh, like when he finally got minutes, he w- he was getting consistent minutes at, at PSG last year, which is a which was a very good team. So he got 15 plus in, with PSG last year. I think that is a conceivable. I think that's kind of my expectation for him this year. I think if he can score. 15 somewhere around that number for for Juve this year I think you can consider that a successful season in the sense is he overrated because he's still not a complete player sure I think he can still develop a whole lot and we saw that against Torino specifically I think that game was, was a showcase of all the things that he can't do right now he's not a particularly good hold up player he, he still is not super technical in the sense of that first touch of, you know, holding the ball, distributing from, you know, playing with his back to the goal. I don't think he he's a, a complete player in that regards right now. I do believe that Alvaro Morata is, is still a, a much superior, a much more complete striker. But he also showed a lot of what makes him really good and really promising and, and you know, a, a worthy prospect and a worthy guy to get minutes because, you know, when he's when he faces up against the goal, when he has space and room to take guys on, you know, he, he can do that with the best of them. And that's why I think he still has a lot of potential. Is he a complete player? No, but you can do a lot worse than Moiskin as, as a guy off the bench as a second half substitution. I think that's where he's going to thrive, thrive the most. And unfortunately we'll see how he develops, but unfortunately that's going to make Juve, I think, you know, looking ahead, I think that's going to force them into a couple tough decisions because Alvaro Morata's contract is up next year. Uh, well, the, his loan is up next year, so they have to decide whether or not to sign him full time. I, if I remember correctly, and if you guys remember, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's 25 mil that they would have to pay. Uh, they, they are kind of like on the hook for Alvaro Morata if Juventus decided to activate his option. The the first strong payment for Federico Chiesa next year. So, you know, who knows if the numbers are going to be there for for Juve to sign him, regardless of what form Alvaro Morata is on. So Keane is in a position in, that in if he develops, if he becomes a complete striker, if he becomes much more like an Alvaro Morata, I think that's, that decision is going to be pretty easy for Juve and they're just going to let Morata go. If he's still kind of like a raw guy, if he still can't quite put it all together then it's going to be a tough decision for Juve because right now it's just Alvaro Morata is the better striker, just all around striker. I think he's still, he's still the better player. Yeah. Or if our financial position improves so much that we can kind of afford all of that, I guess between now and, you know, next year slash year after. Yeah. If somehow, which I mean, it's possible with crowds coming back and stuff, but I mean, who knows? Who knows? Indeed. The crowds fans coming back. is definitely the thing that will, help the most as is a decent champions league run but we'll wrap things up on this note from at lay three low do we renew lord bernardeski at season's end he may not have the quality to be a starter maybe 
but we've seen how invaluable he can be as a role player. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, it's uh, yeah. What it? I remember invaluable someone... is a is a strong term. Invaluable yeah. sounds like, you know, he's he's like key. Like I don't think he's a key player. Invaluable is a strong word. Yeah, let's just say. I mean, brother played two good games, and we're all like, okay, let's you know, let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, take it easy. But yeah, I mean, let let let's see if 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 we do. Personally, I would say for players over 30, and um, I forget how old he is exactly, but um, for players over 30, I always say, you know, one-year extensions, no more than that. Um, oh, he's 27. Man, he's actually not that. Wow, that's wild. I don't know he's 27. Anyway, I'll say. somebody around your age, Chuck. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, kids these days, eh? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, if. I'd say most of one year extension, but like I said, I mean, let's not. He's had two good games. Let's let's uh, let's uh, pump the brakes there a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think you have to pump the brakes. To me, Bernadeski right now, he was a pleasant surprise this this week. I think he played really well this week as a whole. I think he had good, good performances, uh, but to me, he's still in that Mattia De Siglio. Uh, level in the sense that a lot of people want to defend him because oh he can play two positions like he plays to the two fullback positions like it just flexibility means nothing if you do both positions equally bad or as mediocrely like just because you can play in a bunch of spots doesn't make you a valuable player if if that play is subpar and that to me has been Federico Bernardeschi. He, he's played at fullback he's played as a winger he's played as a midfielder he's played all over the place and he hasn't really impressed in any position. So just because you're flexible, that doesn't you know, mean to me that you're invaluable. With that being said, this last couple of games, he was really good. And we have seen stretches of games in which he plays well. So maybe this is a boon to him. Maybe if Dybala and Morata take a little while longer in coming back, maybe he starts getting more minutes. Maybe he starts getting some form and, and then we can talk. But right now, yeah, definitely let's, Let's pump the brakes on the invaluable talk. The, the, the guy the guy scores a few PKs in the Euros and, and has a couple of good games, and now we want him to like get renewed. I mean, he he's he's been better. Let's not let's not get carried away just yet. You guys are no fun. Let's overanalyze the small sample size. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> let's renew him. Ten let's give him blonde or <laughs> uh, you've heard it here first. Blonde Whatever or. Ramsey is making, just transfer that. To Bernardeski and then let's be done with it. There you go. There Five year go. extension now. There we go. There's the hot take, Sturzio. All right. Well, we'll wrap things up there. Thank you all for your Twitter questions. We always appreciate them. If you want to send in Twitter questions for future episodes, please send them to at Juventus Nation on Twitter. You can follow us there as well as on Facebook. Search black and white and red all over. You can use that same black and white and red all over search term on your favorite podcasting platform whether it's apple podcast spotify or google podcast if you listen on apple podcast feel free to rate us and leave us a nice review we always appreciate those so for chucks and for sergio and for new dad sam this is danny saying thank you very much for listening and we will talk to you guys next week